welcome to today's episode of Hellenic Polytheism 101, where we will be discussing the final pillar, Hagnia. Now, anyone who is able to look at this word or hear it might note that it bears a striking similarity to the word hygienic, and then you would be onto something. Hagnia is more of a ritual purity, though, in avoidance of miasma and cleansing oneself before you go before the theoi, before you engage in rituals and in worship. Now, does this mean you can't shoot off a quick prayer before you wash your hands while gardening? No, of course not. That's the ritual part of the ritual purity. Now, there is actually kind of a lot of disagreement regarding miasma and cleansing in the Hellenic polytheism community at large. There are those who claim that, for the most part, the average person won't be contaminated with miasma throughout the course of an average daily life. There are those who believe that we collect miasma throughout the course of our everyday life. There are those who believe that we must fully cleanse ourselves before an offering, and there are those who believe that a simple washing of the hands will suffice. There are those who believe that the cleansing must be done with kernips or lustral water, and there are those that believe that the cleansing can be done with any clean water. There are those who believe any variation of those beliefs combined. Remember, the best part of Hellenic polytheism is that it is so personable. Therefore, most of this is going to be looking at it from how I work. As always, I urgently urge you to do your own research on the matter. Now, the first thing to keep in mind is that Hagnia was mostly used to mean ritually pure, spiritually pure, and was understood to mean whether or not someone was fit to approach the gods. There were things that you could come in contact with that could create a buildup of miasma, and it was best to avoid those things when you could and cleanse yourself when you couldn't, because you can't always do so. Some of the things that build up miasma are a death in the family, giving birth, an illness, but not like a chronic illness, because they didn't really have things like fibromyalgia diagnoses back then, but mostly illnesses like the flu. These are all examples of something that can be considered miasmic. The real question we face today is how to cleanse that miasma. Most of the time, the biggest cure for miasma was time, waiting. There was a period of time you had to wait to no longer be considered miasmic after giving birth or after losing a loved one. You were supposed to wait until after an illness or something like that had passed. And you were also supposed to physically cleanse yourself. Mostly that meant washing up, getting physically clean. For today, for me, that means washing your hands, washing your face, take a shower or a bath, especially if you had been sick. Please take a shower and change into clean clothes. So that part is really simple. Now, historically, there was also one other thing that rendered you miasmic. It very likely won't apply to anyone hearing this or reading this transcript, but it is an issue that is covered in pretty much every source I read regarding miasma and hagnia. So I'm going to mention it as well, just as an interesting fact. Murdering someone was very much a cause of miasma. There were very special midnight rituals one was supposed to engage in in order to cleanse oneself of the miasma caused by murder. Now, normally here is where I would say that in today's society, if you commit murder, you're likely to get caught and so won't have much use of said ritual, but that's statistically unlikely to get caught if you murder someone. So I'm just going to say don't commit murder and you won't have to worry about what that midnight ritual is and how to go about it. 
Mostly, I figured the fact that it's mentioned so often is an interesting historical side note. Now, it's time to move on to things that are more likely to affect you, such as how to practice Hagnia as a modern worshiper. Well, I would love it if the average Hellenic polytheist could go to a temple and worship with others on a regular basis. The fact is that most of us worship and pray and do rituals on our own, or with a very tight-knit group in a personal private space. I myself am mostly a solitary practitioner. Sure, I have my mom and my sister who kind of sort of practice sometimes, and my kids who are interested in it and want to see what's going on, and I have a community of people online, but in my daily practice, it's me, by myself, doing the offering and praying and general worshiping. And that's probably true of most of all of you as well. So how does a mostly solitary practitioner who isn't going to attend a ritual hosted by or attended by a large amount of people deal with community-based concepts like miasma and hagnia? Well, in my case, that means I tend to put holiday rituals and offerings on hold when I would be considered miasmic. It means that when my close family member died, like my grandmother, I prayed at the funeral for her safe passage and otherwise avoided rituals for about a month. It means that when I gave birth to my kids, rituals and offerings were on hold for 10 days, which was, interestingly enough, also about how long it took for me to be in the mindset to get back to daily worship and prayers. It means that when I'm sick, I wait until I'm recovered to engage in practice and worship, like when I got the flu a few years back. Well, three times that year, which is what I get for not getting the flu shot. I'm telling you, I'll never miss it again. And side note, if you haven't gotten your flu shot this year, please do. But anyway, when I did get the flu, I stayed in bed and rested until I was better. I may have said a few informal prayers, something along the lines of, please let this stop, I feel like I'm dying here. But I waited until I was well, and I cleaned my bed and my room and myself and my clothes, I changed out my toothbrush for a clean one and brushed my teeth with the clean toothbrush. And I just, in general, got clean again before I went back to a regular worship schedule. So, for about five weeks that winter, I didn't do very much in the way of practicing. And that's okay. That's what practicing hagnia and avoiding bringing miasma on yourself to focusing on the theoid, that's what that is. So, as a modern worshiper, the best way to practice Hagnia is to just stay clean. Cleanse yourself of miasma as you come across it. Make sure that you are fit to approach the theoi before you do so. It's a very simple pillar to follow because, for the most part, most of us already do. I mean, that's just what we do. So, the next time you feel guilty about not being able to worship because you're sick, or forgoing worship because you've had a death in the family, or a newborn at home, remember that the break you're taking is required, and it's important. It's following Hagnia. It's following the pillars of Hellenic polytheism. It's necessary. So, it'll be okay. The Theoi will understand. Don't beat yourself up over it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Hellenic Polytheism 101. This is actually the last one that will be spent discussing the pillars of Hellenic polytheism. 
Remember, you can always find a transcript of the podcast on my blog at goddessdoeswitchery.tumblr.com as well as a link to the sources I used today. And those were Inner Purity and Pollution by, I'm going to butcher this name, Andrzej Petrov, Shame and Purity in Euripides Hippolytus by Charles Segal, Shame in Ancient Greece by David Constant, <coughs> The Pillars of Hellenismos and What Is and Is Not Miasmic on the Blogspot by Barring the Ages, and finally, A Beginner's Guide to Hellenismos by Timothy J. Alexander. You can also always ask me any questions at any time there on my Tumblr as well. Finally, as a little special something, I'm also going to have a complete transcript of all seven episodes about the pillars in a single post as well. Right now, we're looking at 12 pages and 8,637 words, so it'll be a very long post. As a result, I am definitely going to have to set it under a read more. Heaven knows, the last thing I would do is put 12 pages and 8,000 some odd words onto a Tumblr post without setting it under a read more. Now, this post is also going to contain links to the previous podcasts, which will have links to all the sources used for these last seven episodes as well. So please feel free to check it out and continue your own research. Always, always. Do your own research. Never trust what anyone says flat out until you've researched it for yourself. That's so important. I cannot impress that upon you enough. Now, for the next episode, instead of doing all any of the pillars, because I'm done with those, I'm going to be discussing the Delphic Maxims. There are 147 of them. So, don't worry. I'm not about to go fully in-depth with each one the way I did the pillars, It'll just be a simple discussion on the maxims themselves. I look forward to seeing you all then on November 15th.